All right. Well, good evening. How you guys doing? Good? All right. Well, uh, welcome to Genesis. My name is Mike. I'm the, the pastor here. And at Genesis, we believe in having open doors and open hearts. And so I hope that when you came to the door tonight that you felt comfortable, that you felt invited and welcome. And I also hope that you came with an open heart tonight because you have been prayed and prepared for. And so we're glad you're here. And uh, happy uh, belated Thanksgiving. How was your Thanksgiving? It's good? All right. So what's, uh, just really quick, everybody just yell out like their favorite Thanksgiving food. <laughs> Macaroni and cheese? Yeah, that's probably, that's probably up there for me. What do you think is like a, uh, a, a really underrated Thanksgiving food? Green bean casserole. I agree. Cranberries. What about, a, what about an overrated Christmas or overrated Thanksgiving food? I think, that's a, I think that's just across the board. Turkey is just very overrated. <laughs> cool. Well, hey, we're glad you guys are here tonight. Uh, tonight we are concluding a, a three-part series called No Doubt About It. Uh, and this series is concentrated on the topic of doubt. And I feel like this was a, a timely topic uh, because uh, statistics say that two out of every three Christians admit to experiencing a season of doubt, and so that is the majority of us in here tonight. And if you haven't experienced a season of doubt yet, it is, it is very possible that one is coming. And so doubt is, is important to talk about, especially because oftentimes it doesn't, the, the, the church doesn't feel like the safest place that you can do that. And so I love that we talked about doubt over the, the course of this month, and over the last couple of weeks, I've tried, to, I've tried to communicate two things. And the first thing is that doubt is a common obstacle. That doubt is a common obstacle. And the second thing is that uh, doubt should lead us to embrace God and not evade him. That at the intersection of faith and doubt, we should run towards God and not run away. And so I hope that this series has been timely for you. And, and I hope that it will continue to be as we move into the message for tonight. Uh, and so tonight we're going to discover a third way to defeat doubt in our life and and it may just be what we need to hear the most out of the three weeks. And so I'm excited for tonight. Um, in week one, we saw Jesus defeat doubt using scripture. And last week, we saw him use his presence. And tonight, we're going to see him use proof. And so to bring you into the conversation tonight, before we get too deep into this, I want to bring you into the conversation. And I want to ask you a question. Is there something in your life that you won't ever believe is possible until you see it? Is there something in your life that you wouldn't ever believe is possible until you see it? Maybe it's the salvation of a lost friend. Maybe it's the, the healing of, of a disease, maybe in yourself or in a loved one. Maybe it's a, the restoration of, a, of a, a broken relationship. Maybe it's for God to provide something for you that you've waited a long time for. And you think, man, if God would just save this one friend, if he would just heal this one family member or, or heal me, if he would just restore the relationship that I have with my parents or, or maybe provide that job that I've been looking for. If he would just do that, I would believe that he is who he says he is, if I saw it. But tonight we're going to read a story from the life of Jesus where we see how a disciple felt the same way about the resurrection of Jesus. And he was probably the most famous doubter of all time. He was, he's probably the poster boy of doubt, if you will. His name is Thomas. And so I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into the scriptures for tonight. And so if you would, pray with me. God, thank you so much for, for bringing us here tonight. God, thank you for uh, coming off a, a great holiday. Uh, God, for, for showing gratitude and thankfulness. And so, God, we are 
grateful and thankful for bringing us here tonight. And God, I pray tonight that your word uh, would speak. God, that your voice would speak louder than my own tonight. God, uh, we know that heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will not. So God, I pray this would not fall on deaf ears, but instead fertile soil and open hearts. And God, I pray that you would speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name, and we all said together, amen. All right, so if you would, go ahead and turn to, to John chapter 20. And, uh, and while you're doing that, uh, I'll just get you up to speed a little bit. So last week, we, we saw Jesus appear to the disciples, and then later on, we saw him ascend into heaven. And so our story for tonight occurs right between those two events. And so the last couple of weeks, we've been reading out of the book of Luke. And so now tonight, to be reading out of John, I just want to, you guys probably know this, but the, the four gospel accounts, that even though they're laid out in the Bible, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they don't read like a novel. Instead, they are, they are four accounts of the same events. And so some accounts will give us details that others won't. And so that's why we've read a, a couple of stories from the book of Luke, and now we're jumping to John, and it just gives us some details as, as to what happened between the two events. And so we're going to be in John chapter 20. This is uh, starting in verse 24. This is what it says. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I will never believe. And so after Jesus appeared to his disciples, Thomas shows up. And, and, so, and just so if you're curious, when it says that he was called the twin, Nobody is really officially sure why he was called that. Apparently, he may have had a twin, uh, but nobody is completely sure. So just if you're curious. But it says that when Jesus appeared to the disciples, Thomas was not there. We talk about missing out, right? Like FOMO, you know, we talk about FOMO, like fear of missing out. I mean, this guy missed out. And so, they, so he shows up. I mean, what, what could have been that important, right? Like talk about missing out. I can't believe that. And so... Uh, and so he shows up, and they're like, we've seen the Lord. That's what they tell him. And, and they're like, Thomas, you missed it, man. We've seen Jesus. And, and Thomas replies with, with this clear and definitive statement. And he, this is what he says. He says, unless I see it, I will never believe. Unless I see it, I will never believe. Unless I see and touch the marks of the nails in his hands. Unless I place my hands into his side. I will never believe. And because of this definitive statement that he made that has been immortalized, that has been canonized in Scripture and at times demonized, he has been known for centuries as Doubting Thomas. And, and it's his claim to fame. It's doubting is what he's known for. And part of me wonders if Thomas got a bad rap for that. Because what's interesting about, about Thomas is that earlier in Jesus' life, Jesus at one point was going to return to, to Judea, even though it was dangerous for him to do so. And, and Thomas tells the disciples, and he says this brave statement. He says, let us go so that we may die with him. And so this is interesting because Thomas for so long has been put into this doubter category, but that wasn't all that he did. That we see in Scripture him also being very brave and very courageous. And so Thomas, though he doubted, he was not absent of faith. And nor should he be boxed solely into this doubter category. Because how many of us probably would have reacted the same exact way when met with the news of the resurrection? We just saw this guy die. We saw him buried. And we weren't there when he appeared to the disciples. And so when they're like, yeah, we saw him, it's like, okay, 
prove it to me, right? Pixar didn't happen. And so, and so he, he's doubting, and I feel like a lot of us can find ourselves there, that he was human like you and me. And so if we put ourselves in his shoes, what would have made us react like that? What would have made us react like that? That maybe if we were hurt or if we were angry, I'm sure seeing Jesus die made Thomas feel many things. I think I can relate to doubting Thomas a lot more than I'd like to admit at times. Because how often are, are we presented with the, the truth of God and we still seemingly yell back and say, God, prove it. I want to see proof. I want to see it. Heal my family member. Restore my broken relationship. Save my lost friend. Come through for me. Prove it to me. Give me proof and I'll believe. I feel that many of us have felt that way before. And so Thomas, he, he tells the, the other disciples, he says, unless I see and touch, I will never believe. But as the prophet Justin Bieber says, never say never. All right, let's keep reading. This is John 20, 26 through 29. You're welcome. You guys might lighten up. All right, verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So we see that eight days later, uh, the disciples are, are together again. And Thomas was with them this time. And, uh, and they're inside. And, and even though the, the doors were locked, Jesus comes right in. Like I've said before, resurrected Jesus does what he wants. And, and at this point, you know, you got to think, what's going through Thomas's mind? When Jesus is like, hey, Thomas, you know, he's probably thinking like, okay, maybe these guys were right. <laughs> you know, I'm starting to see it. And, and, and Jesus says, okay, come over here. Feel the holes in my hands and the hole in my side. Touch and see. And so Thomas reaches out and he touches the marks of the nails and the holes in Jesus's side. And he says, my Lord, my God. And we see doubting Thomas start to be a little convinced that Jesus really was alive. And then Jesus, he, he tells Thomas something that is uh, just as definitive as the statement Thomas had made. Remember at the beginning, Thomas said, unless I see it, I will never believe. And then Jesus comes back and he says, okay, so now you believe because you saw. But blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. Like, okay, Thomas, put that in your pipe and smoke it. How does it feel that in a time of doubt, to be told by God, proof is not necessary. To be told in your time of doubt by God that proof is not necessary. And this was way of, this way, uh, this was Jesus' way of, of saying, listen, you've walked with me for years. You know that how many times I've said that I would die and rise again, and all of that has happened, and yet you still want proof. And yet you still want proof. And so when we are presented with the truth of God, when we are presented with the truth of his grace, the truth of his forgiveness, the truth of his power, of his plan, and we shout back, God, I can't see it. I want to see it. Give me proof. His answer is and always will be, I already have. I already have. And so here's the truth for you tonight. That sometimes the proof we need about God is not ahead of us. It's behind us. 
And that is how we have faith in what we cannot yet see. We believe in what God will do because of what he has done. So I want to talk about what that means for your life. And so with that said, do you guys, do you guys like going to the beach? You guys like going to the beach? Yeah. So it's awesome to live in Charleston, have the beach so close. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I like going to the beach. I'm not a big beach person. Anybody like big beach people? Like, you're like, yeah, I love the beach. Want to go all the time. Wow, not that many. Raise your hand if you're like a big beach person. Okay, all right, so we got like four or five. Okay, so actually not as many as I thought. Okay, well, has anyone been to the beach before? Like once in your life? Okay, awesome. So you guys can understand what I'm talking about. So it's awesome to live in Charleston and awesome to know that the beach exists apparently. So you probably all had this happen, that you go to the beach and you get out into the water and you go out a ways, maybe far enough to where like your feet don't touch the bottom anymore and you're out there, you're having a good time and... <laughs> And uh, you're looking for sharks, um, and you go out in the water, and and then after after you're out there for a while, you look back at the shore, where you started, and what's happened? You've you've moved, right? You've drifted away from where you started, right? The current of uh, uh, the current of the water has brought you far away from where you started, and so either you can you know swim back to where you think you started, or just go to the shore and try to find your chair or your bag or wherever you left it. We've all we've all you know experienced that, and so. I know that at times in our life, though, a similar thing happens to us, that we, we, we jump into the water, so to speak, we, we leave solid ground, we venture out far and away from what we know, and we hang out there and we start to dwell in a place that we know is not good for us. We dwell in a place that we ran to when we were hurt or when we were angry. We ran to a place that felt good or seemed more exciting at the time, and then we look back at where we started and we realize what? that we've drifted, that the current of, of, of life and the current of this world has pulled us far away from what we know and far away from where we started. And so in the story of Thomas, it is true that Thomas had faith. It is true that Thomas loved Jesus. And it's true that Thomas experienced real emotion. Thomas had been told by Jesus himself that, that Jesus would die and rise again. But in a time where Thomas was possibly hurt, in a time where Thomas was possibly angry, he drifted. And the current of pain, the current of doubt, had pulled him far away from what he knew about Jesus. And I believe that the same thing has happened to some of us in here tonight. That we've been bruised by life before, but, but God has brought us through, right? We've, we've experienced a lot of things. We've seen a, a family member deal with sickness. We've dealt with death. We've maybe experienced abuse or we've, we're products of a, of a broken home. And now it's possible that we've drifted because of something that we are currently facing. That we're not sure of what our next step in life is. We're not sure how God is going to come through for us. We're, we're dealing with brokenness in us or around us. We're, we don't see the path that God wants us to take. The goodness of God and the plan of God is seemingly impossible to see. And you're wondering if God is going to come through for you Again, and so the current of that pain, the current of that loss or that failure, the current of that uncertainty and that doubt has maybe pulled you far away from God. And so in those times, those, those, those times of uncertainty where you can't see what's ahead of you and you don't know if you can trust God's plan or you don't know if he's going to show up, we need to remember that sometimes the proof we need about God is not ahead of us, it's behind us. 
And that's how we have faith in what we can't yet see. We trust in what God will do because of what he's done. And so if that resonates with you tonight, that if that strikes a chord within you tonight, what you need to do is turn around and look at the course of your life and everything that God has brought you through. And what you will see are mountaintops of faithfulness shadowing over every valley of your struggle. The valley of depression, the valley of loss, the valley of failure, the valley of disappointment and of abuse. For every valley, there has been a victory. And so God pulled you through those situations that looked hopeless, and you can expect him to continue to do so. And so when it comes to what you are facing in the present, what you are uncertain about, maybe in the future, you can press forward knowing that the God who carried you then is going to continue to carry you. And so when it comes to the healing of that, of that sick family member or, or the, the salvation of a lost friend or the restoration of that relationship, you can trust in what God will do because of what he has done. And so the truth that we need about God, the proof of God behind us is what we need when we can't see it ahead of us. When we can't see God's plan, you can trust God's heart. And so when we are doubtful of what God is doing and we say, God, I can't see it. I need proof. Give me proof. His answer is and always will be, I already have. I already have. And what presides over those acts of faithfulness in your life is the one ultimate act of faithfulness that you can always rest on. And that act of faithfulness is the cross of Jesus Christ. No matter what your life has been like, no matter the hand you've been dealt, the cross tells us that things are going to be okay. That at a time where, where God seemed out of control the most, he was actually in complete control. In a time where God seemed disinterested, or a time where God seemed that he wasn't paying attention, he was actually in complete control. And so if you, can, if, you can, if you can wrap your mind around the fact that God was even in control in the death of his son, he is in control of your life. So in our lives, we have to know that our faith gets smaller the further we drift from the cross. Our faith gets smaller when our view of the cross gets smaller. You know when you start drifting, things in the distance start becoming what? Smaller. The further you get away, the smaller things become. And sometimes in our life, we drift so far away that the cross has become something just off in the distance. But I believe tonight is an opportunity for you to turn around and start making your way back. And the beautiful thing about that is that when we turn around and start making our way back to God, is that the grace of God will reach us wherever we are. That no distance we can drift that, it, that will outreach the grace of God. Scripture says that when we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And when we do, we don't get met with condemnation. We don't get met with judgment. We instead get met with grace and forgiveness and mercy. That's the good news tonight, guys. That should excite you. That should, that, should, that should give you some comfort tonight in the fact that no matter what your life has looked like, like I said, no matter what the, the hand you've been dealt, no matter what life has offered you, you have hope in the cross of Jesus Christ. That even though it looked out of control, even though your life seems chaotic, the cross is the one message that shows us that God is never out of control. Tonight, all you gotta do is stop running your own direction and start making a move towards him. And so tonight, we're going we're gonna to be taking communion as a way to do just that, to make a move back towards Christ. And I like ending every series with communion. And so as tonight is the last message of, 
of this series. I want to do that. And, and I feel like tonight, this is, a, this is a way to make a move back towards Christ. So I'm going to go ahead and invite the, 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 band to, the, the band to make their way back up. And, and we do communion because God, because Jesus commanded us to do communion before he went to the cross. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And so you know, there's, nothing, there's nothing righteous about this bread or this juice. But what it is, is it's a symbol of the righteousness that was given to us. And it's a symbol of what Jesus did for us, the body broken and the blood shed. And so tonight, a lot of times I, I like to explain communion as a moment of recalibration. It's a moment where we take the mistakes that we've made, the distance we've drifted, and we make a turn back to God. We make a turn back to Christ and a turn back to the cross. And so what I want you to do is just take a second, get your heart right before God, it doesn't have to be pretty, but just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've made mistakes. I know I've drifted. But God, I put my faith in you again. And I know your blood was enough for me. When you're ready, you can come up here, take a piece of the bread, drop it in the juice, and eat. And I would just encourage you tonight, look back at the course of your life and see how far Jesus has brought you. That for every valley, there has been a mountaintop of faithfulness. You can trust in what God will do because of what he's done. We can pray for you. God, we thank you so much, ultimately for, your, for the cross, God, for your sacrifice, for what you did, God, when we didn't deserve it. God, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And God, we know now that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That nothing can separate us from your love. No height, nor depth, no present, nor future, no angel, nor demon could ever separate us from the love that we have in Christ Jesus. Nothing can take us from your hand. And so, God, while our, our life may seem chaotic, while it may feel like, God, that you're not paying attention to our life, God, we know the cross is a symbol that even though you feel out of control, you're not. And so, God, I thank you for every, every valley that we've walked through that you've, that you've carried us through. God, the valley of depression, the valley of, of death, the valley of failure or disappointment. God, I thank you that your faithfulness presides over all of that. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. And when we make a turn back to you, no matter how far we've drifted, you meet us with acceptance and approval and grace and mercy. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.